You're listening to Common Threads, a podcast about ethical fashion, hosted by Ruth McGilp and Alice Cruikshank. Better for fascist greenwashing? Then you're in the right place. We go beyond buzzwords and PR peddling interviews and instead dive deep into what really matters. Each week, we break down the big issues with the help of some of the fashion industry's leading changemakers and thought leaders. Let's rethink fashion, one conversation at a time. Hello and welcome back to Common Threads. We're approaching the end of season three. Today is the penultimate episode of this series. So we just wanted to say a huge thank you for listening and learning along the way. Yes, series three is nearly done already. I can't believe it. It's gone by so quickly. And we've managed to explore some big topics so far. And we're keeping on that train today as we explore the need for inclusivity in the ethical fashion sphere. Yeah, so inclusivity is something that we've talked about before and it's likely to be something that we'll talk about again because it is such a fundamental issue. If you'd like to dive back into the archive a little bit on this issue, we recommend how to start an ethical fashion brand with Laura Jean and why representation matters with Ronke Fashola. But today we'll be talking to a sustainability influencer and the founder of a size inclusive ethical fashion brand to find out more and showcase some real solutions. Common Threads is written, researched, produced and presented entirely by us. We put so much work into making this happen and we love making this content for you, but we need you to keep this podcast going. We would love it if you could help us keep the podcast free and accessible for everyone by donating the cost of a cup of coffee to our Ko-fi account. Head to ko-fi.com slash common threads podcast to give a one-off donation of £3. Your support really means the world to us. Thank you. So when we talk about inclusivity in the fashion industry, I think a lot of us jump to the mainstream fast fashion, the luxury system, considering the lack of size, race and age diversity on catwalks and campaigns. But the so-called sustainable space can have the exact same type of tunnel vision. And we're not just talking about diversity in a performative sense here. It's all very well having beautifully diverse Instagram feeds, but if there is no challenge to the leadership behind the scenes or actual solidarity with the people who make the clothes, then it's not real inclusion. And one thing we also wanted to mention here before we start is that the fashion industry is also guilty of ableism, which is prejudice or discrimination and general ignorance towards people with disabilities. And the majority of fashion brands, ethical or not, are not catering to people who need their clothes and their shopping experiences to be more adaptive. Fashion never works as a one-size-fits-all approach in any aspect, and we'd love to see more ethical brands continue to look outside the usual parameters of how clothing can be a force for good. Yes, this is such a hidden injustice in the fashion industry, but also, as we'll touch on later, a huge missed business opportunity as well. And I think it brings us back to that fundamental problem with most fashion is that it's designed for one average body or a standard body which we all know is completely unrealistic and out of reach for so many people and I love the podcast 99% Invisible which is not about fashion but about design more generally and that taught me that any type of design you know thinking about urban planning and, and architecture and fashion as well 
is more effective for everyone when it is designed for everyone. So when we expand our parameters of design, it gets better for everyone. So some examples of this is that when we look at cars and planes, seat belts and seats were designed for men and male crash test dummies. But, you know, when we consider women in that, it gets more effective or the curb cuts, the little ramps that are on pavements to let people with wheelchairs, you know, cross the road. That also benefits everyone else. It benefits people with walking sticks and push chairs and shopping trolleys and, you know, so much more. So, you know, the wider we think, the better the design gets. And that applies to fashion definitely too. So finally, before we start, I know that you like recommendations. So I wanted to share some brilliant adaptive fashion brands that I've come across lately, Unhidden and Reset which we'll link to in the show notes. And these brands are really part of this growing movement to start considering a wider range of wearers in the fashion design process and all while keeping sustainability in mind too. This week, we wanted to dig into what a truly sustainable brand can look like. And for that, we are bringing you one of the most exciting change makers in this space, Nagoni Chikwenegeri. Nagoni is the founder of UK-based slow fashion label We Are Kin and she's also a mega talented content creator blogging about plant-based food and sustainable living. I met Nagoni at the launch of Water Bear's Redress the Future documentary which she stars in and I really connected with what she had to say on the panel about small steps really adding up to incremental change and transformative change in fashion, both at a brand level and on an individual level in our everyday behaviour. So let's meet Nagoni today and learn more about what her brand is all about and what a more inclusive fashion system could look like. Hi Nagoni, welcome to Common Threads. It's really great to have you on. Hi Ruth, hi Alice, thanks for having me. Well thanks for being here. So we're gonna get right to the beginning of your story. You studied fashion and you very quickly went on to launch We Are Kin. So has sustainability always been central to your interest in fashion and how did you decide what your brand's values were going to be when you started? I've always been obsessed with fashion like I grew up watching fashion TV back home in Zimbabwe just watching it was like just always runways all the time so I've always been fascinated with fashion I've always been really fascinated with luxury but sustainability wasn't really something I'd ever thought about until I saw what happened with Rana Plaza disaster and I think that's when I was like sixth form or maybe even at university actually and I remember being like this industry that I love so much that's so glamorous is actually so damaging to people and the planet and that's when it started to kind of mesh in my head about how fashion was, it had a very ugly and dark side to it. And then obviously I started, you know, interning in fashion, I started working in fashion. And some of the things that I saw as well, I was like, this is really bad. Why are we burning clothes? Why are we doing, you know, all these like different things. And then it just made me really want to start a label that was very much about people in the planet. Don't get me wrong, I'm a business owner, profit is important. But for me, I think you can make money without damaging the planet without impacting people negatively and so that's kind of where we are kin's values came from that's also why I call the brand kin because I like to think of the people I work with my customers the fact everyone who's involved in we are kin and loves we are kin is kin to me because we're all trying to do better for people in the planet I guess that's a really similar story to me I grew up like loving luxury fashion and then you're suddenly like light bulb moment this is horrible I don't want to be part of this at all but it's great that you're trying to kind of deliver a solution instead 
So you talked a bit about Kin being about, you know, all the people that you work with and the impact that you have, but how would you describe the designs themselves to people that haven't come across your brand yet? I always say We Are Kin is just a brand full of timeless classics, just because I've had women who are 18 wear my pieces. I've had people who are 16 wear my pieces. And then we do size six to size 26. And if you're smaller or larger, let us know. and We'll you know make you something custom made. And so it's very much in the DNA of We Are Kin about being you know inclusive for everyone. And I think that probably comes from me being Zimbabwean and South African and having a certain kind of body shape and always having to make things work to fit me so that's another reason even why you know we are kin kind of exist to kind of help people get pieces that they love and will wear forever I guess exactly like you're so good at designing pieces that look really comfortable but also are super cute which is hard to find in ethical fashion sometimes to be honest but one of the things you do that we absolutely love is you use dead stock fabrics so I'd be really curious to know about how does that design process work it must be a little bit different from the normal way of make a design then source a fabric right yeah it's it's very difficult because what will happen is either you know the factory will say, hey, we've got this fabric. We've got like 70 meters. What do you think? You know, because I pop in quite regularly. I tend to go to the factory once a week or a couple of times a month, just because I think it's important that people who are making your clothes really get to know you and vice versa. Like I've been to like a factory at his house and like had tea with his family and chill. And he knows my mom. And it's it's very much like a family, a kin, a kinship. But back to what you're asking me about the fabric. So it might be that, or it might just be one of my fabric suppliers. Like I'll go see them and they've got like a roll and I fall in love with the fabric. And they say, we've only got X amount. This is it, it's dead stock and things like that. And I kind of have to think as a designer, what design do I already have that works for this? Or what can I design to then make this work? Once I make a sample and I say, hey, I've got this, I've got this in stock, who wants it? People are very much like me, 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 and then it's done. And it just means I don't have to deal with waste. I think it's it's different as well to the design process that you're perhaps taught in fashion school where the design is first, but really yeah. it should come from the material and down, you know, the whole supply chain that would help save on waste. Yeah. So you spoke a little bit about size inclusivity there. Why is it that that is so important to you? You offer sizes from, you know, six to 26. You have custom sizes Obviously, a lot of people hold those values, but for many small brands, you know, they talk about how it's a challenge to perhaps grade those patterns, to pay more to have things in stock. You know, what would you say to those brands that are struggling or any advice for starting out with size inclusivity? Well, mostly we do do make to order, which obviously solves that problem. So we don't have, you know, stock and we've got the wrong sizes in stock. But also what we do is if you don't know something I ask so I've been in fashion just as an industry for like a decade just from being a blogger and interning so I know lots of fascinating cool people who you know can help me along the way as well and when it comes to grading you can speak to your graders say hey I'm trying to do this I'm a small business and people are always rooting for the little guy but I've also had to learn myself to grade we've got YouTube we've got books I just want it to be accessible and so I've had to teach myself certain things I didn't learn grading at school but now I can actually grade a pattern I do have to do size by size I can't just skip you know because <laughs> I'm not there yet I'm not pro but I just, for me, if something is important enough, I will do what I can to make it work. And it was just important for me that we did offer size inclusivity, that it was there because growing up, I mean, I've, I mean, I probably will always have, a, I guess, a, a body shape that's between a size 10 and a size 14 or 16. That's just kind of how my genetic makeup seems to be. But growing up, I had friends who were like a lot bigger, but then also friends who were very, very small and it was hard going shopping. I would see them just kind of struggle to find clothes. 
even now I went into um, High Street store a couple of weeks ago. I was I went to a shopping center that we have in Northampton. And I wasn't looking to shop. I just wanted to see what's really going on with sizes. I couldn't find anything in a size 18. And I don't mean anything cute. I mean, I couldn't find anything at all in a size 18. The average British woman is a size 16. So (laughs) it just doesn't make sense. And so, yeah, it was just so important for me having seen that struggle. And again, just with myself, I always have to take things at the waist, let things out of the hips, just knowing that. And I think that's kind of what comes in with having a female designer as I really think about the female form when I'm designing and also how things will work. And, you know, does this dress have pockets? It's <laughs> just things like that. I just feel like size inclusivity is important. It, it doesn't make sense to me if you're a brand to not have, you know, a bigger size range. You can't just make clothes that are size eight to size 14 or 16 it makes no sense. And business-wise, it makes no sense. The fact that I offer sizes from six to 26 means I get a lot of orders from all over the world from people who want to buy into We Are Kin. So just from a financial standpoint, why do you not want to cater to these women or men or whatever (laughs) who, you know, want to buy your pieces? It doesn't make sense. So financially, size inclusivity is a good thing. And then also just for I don't know, just to feel good about yourself when you go to sleep. I think it's really good. And also it means so much to see so many different people wear my personal brand. And so I think it would mean you'd be really great for brands to see, you know, a diverse range of people wearing their clothing. And then when it comes to, you know, race or disability and all these different things, it's the exact same thing. People want to feel a part of a community. We are kin. Hello. It's a community. (laughs) And if you can do that with a brand, those are more customers. You know, it's not just people who are size eight to 14 and able-bodied who can buy clothes or, you know, can whatever it is you're selling. And if you show people themselves within your stuff or even show how you're trying to do better, people will buy into that. And it makes you happy. It makes the customers happy. I, I don't understand why people would don't do it. And for smaller brands, like I said at the beginning, some things it's been asking questions, but also Googling things. We have so much um, resources now at the tips of our fingertips. If I don't know how to do something, I can watch a YouTube video of somebody showing me how to do that and, you know, get on with it. So, yeah. I know. I think sizing is just one of the many, many ways that mainstream fashion is very much broken and it's not serving the people it's made to serve. But obviously when you're going down the ethical route, there's a lot of challenges. You're having to kind of throw out the rule book and really start from scratch. So we would love to know, what was your journey? How did you set up your brand? How did you find your factory? And what were the challenges that you faced with starting an ethical brand? So I come from a very normal family. My dad's an engineer, my mum's a teacher. So it's nothing special, but it's, you know, I've had a comfortable upbringing, I can say. And so after I left, like by design job, I decided to start a label and I didn't know what I was doing (laughs) because you don't really get taught at uni how to start a brand you know you get taught you know how to be a designer and so I was actually in a fabric shop a desktop fabric um, warehouse with my mum and she's also very good at asking questions that I'm too shy to ask so she asked one of the you know people there do you guys know any good factories my daughter's trying to make in England and she can't find anyone And funnily enough, the owner of my factory was actually in the warehouse at that time. And they were like, oh, this guy. And that's how we met. And it was because of my mum, you know, 
asking those questions. And since then, I now ask a lot of questions. I ask whoever, if you're in finance, how do you do tax? How do I do this? How do I do that? And I always say to, you know, small brand owners, ask questions. If you're a little guy, people will tell you all their secrets because they want, you know, they don't see you as a threat yet. So it's a great time to ask questions. And so that's kind of how that started. And then with the fabrics, it was just important for me to do something that was sort of affordable because I mean, fashion, what we now think of as affordable in fashion is actually affordable because there's a human cost. So for me, We Are Kin is very affordable for what it is. And then I also wanted it to be ethical. So am I using dead stock or natural fibers or what impact are these things I'm using going to have on people on the planet? And that's just kind of right from the beginning how it started. And I think it's easy when you start a new brand to have those values as your foundation. I think it can be harder once you've built, you know, to then go back and try to undo and fix all of that. That's a really good point. You're sort of more adaptable to change, I think, because you're used to operating that way anyway. So you, as well as being the amazing founder of We Are Kin, are also an amazing con- content creator, all about sustainability on Instagram and on your blog. What are your thoughts about, you know, the role you play in the wider kind of sustainability space what are your thoughts on inclusivity in that space? What work is there still to do as influencers, as cre- content creators? Um, for me personally, I think it's so important to be authentic. So I'm a very glam girl. <laughs> I am. I can't deny it. But I also have an allotment. I compost. I have an ethical fashion brand. And I'm still, you know, that girl. And I think it's important to show that side. To- I'm also plant-based. So I'm all of the cliches you can think about. But I think it's important to show the real me so if you follow me on social media you see I like nice things and caring about the planet doesn't mean you can't do nice things or you can't have nice things it just means you're really thinking about the impact you're having and so I find a lot of people now will say to me I never used to think about these things until I followed you you know I followed you for like 10 years and honestly you've changed like how I look at certain things how I do certain things and so on and so forth so I think it's really important to have people who look different and have different perspectives in the sustainable space. And so when it comes to inclusivity, I don't see enough brown faces. Sometimes I'm the only brown face or, you know, person of color on a panel. Sometimes I'm the only woman. And I just don't think that's kind of um, reflective how the industry is because I was reading something the other day about how women, when it comes to sustainability, but also people um, in third world countries are very sustainable compared to those of us here in the West. But where are those people when it comes to panels and things like that? And also women, because we care more about, you know, the planet and it's there. So I would love to see a lot more of that. But yeah, back to your question. I just think when it comes to social media, if you've got any kind of values and something you're trying to impress, be open about that. Bring people into your world because everyone deserves a chance to learn. And I think when people learn, they do better. Absolutely. And as you were saying, it's often the people that actually have the most valuable thing to bring to the conversation that don't even get a seat at the table. And ethical fashion should be about bringing those people in, right? That's kind of their their whole thing. So on that note, let's talk fashion utopia. What would the perfect inclusive fashion system look like to you? And do you have any sort of hot tips on how we can get there? 
I think it's legislation. I say this all the time. I think it's so important for fashion to be legislated, for sustainability and ethical fashion to be legislated, for brands to be pushed by business, by um, the government to do better and also incentivized as well. And I think it's also for us, for the consumer, to keep challenging these brands that aren't doing well at all, that are greenwashing, that are lying to us, or those who aren't even bothering to lie to us. I think it's for us as a consumer to talk with our money and also to you know leave comments, tweets, write those letters, because I think together we can all have a massive impact. So fashion utopia for me is brands that are just not negatively um, affecting our planet. Brands that are paying the people who are making the clothes well. And I would actually like to see, I wouldn't mind if I like all these big brands all decided to become ethical and sustainable. It might even be a reason for me to shut down my brand and find something else for me to do. Does that make sense? Because they're offering more and it's better. I, I would love to see all of fashion become ethical and sustainable. And I think at some point we'll get there, but will it be too late? I don't know, because fashion has got a lot to answer for when it comes to climate change and global warming and so many different you know, things. Like, I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but cotton and China and the Uyghur Muslims essentially being in slavery part two. <laughs> you know make this happen so there's a lot a lot a lot of dark things happening in fashion and I think if we keep calling it out and also voting for the right people and you know just going out there and doing what we can every day to make the world a better place and I think we can end up with an industry that we can be proud of and that is glam on the outside and on the inside. I love that because I do think maybe there's a tendency to sort of gatekeep sustainability right but we need the big brands we need your discount brands we need everyday influencers we need we need all all kinds to to get there and I really love the positive attitude that you take both with your brand and with your blog to just like empower people to make small changes so just to finish off is there any kind of maybe one or two small changes that you'd recommend people make if they're completely new to sustainable fashion Um, Like I said right at the beginning, I'm a luxury girl. I love fashion. I love, you know, fancy things. But for me, I always ask myself, do I really need this? And sometimes I'll add something onto my little secret Pinterest board and I'll have it on there for months, sometimes for years until I finally buy that thing that I want. And then when I have it, I really treasure it. I don't really buy clothes very often coming from a designer that's hilarious but the things that I do have, you see them a lot on my Instagram over and over again, style in different ways. So it's like buy less really value what you have and ask yourself, am I putting people and the planet, you know, at the forefront of what I'm doing? Because it's so important that we all take personal responsibility, but also responsibility for, you know, the rest of the world. If you're buying a five pound dress or a t-shirt for £2.50, someone has suffered. A lot of people have suffered along the way for you to get that t-shirt for £2.50. I think sustainability is sexy. There, I said it. Like, I just... You can just break me off. (laughs) I really think that this planet that we all share is so beautiful. There are so many amazing things that you can see and do and enjoy. And I just think it's for us to kind of keep it and also like kind of improve where we're at because we're doing a lot of things right now to damage the planet and it's our home. We only have the one home. We can't go to, we can't all go to Mars. So I think it's really important that we really push that message, that sustainability. It's not just a trend. It's something we actually need to do. It's necessary at this point. And also it can be fun. I just think making better choices is not a bad thing. 
Thank you so much to Nagoni for joining us and to all of you for listening. Please do check out her work and the stunning designs over at We Are Kin. You'll find all the details in the show notes and we'll be back later this month for our season finale. In the meantime, please come and join us on Instagram. You'll find us at Common Threads Podcast. And if you could leave us a rating or review on iTunes to help spread the word, we would really appreciate it. See you next time. <laughs>